0: The Word of God is alive. Amen. Amen. It's alive. It's active. It's powerful. It is the power of God unto salvation. And so, Father, we just come to you now as we open this Word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to worship you this morning. We don't ever want to take for granted because we don't come to sing songs to you. We don't come to sing so that we feel good, but we come to worship you and to praise your name because you're worthy to be praised. And we thank you, Father, that your spirit this morning has helped us and opened that veil so that we can come into your presence this morning and honor you and worship you from our spirit and from our heart. And now, Father, as we turn to the word of God that you have given to your church to not just give us direction and wisdom, but it is the very word of God, the power of God put into words, Lord, that we may be changed thereby. And so, Father, today as we prepare to open this word and let it be deposited down in our heart, Father, may it find good soil not hard soil, not soil that has many other things in it, such as, 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 as weeds and things, but that it be pure soil, Father, that it may produce in our lives a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold. For that is what your word is intended to do. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We ask him to breathe on that word, to breathe into our hearts, our spirits, the breath of life, as these words become alive in us and begin to change us from the inside out. And for that, we thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen? amen and amen. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 10. And we've been spending a good part of this year. In fact, as I looked back, we really kind of began this at the end of last year. But uh, Why are we here? Why does this church exist? Why are we here? Why are you and I here? And we saw that the only reason that church exists, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are many churches out there that are man's ideas and as we make the changes that we've made here this year with the stage in front and the beautiful thing and there are other changes we're going to begin to make which we'll talk to you about later to modernize things a little bit and to bring things up to date and, and to help, help facilitate us together as a community where we can just not come in and go out um, but we can really co- connect with one another as we begin to do some of those things we can't ever ever forget why we do these things and why we're here and that is to carry out what Christ put us here to do And that is Mark 16, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to all nations. Matthew 28, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you to do. That's the only reason we're here. Everything else we do comes out of that or supports that. That's the only reason you're alive. That's the reason God saved you because he loved you, but he left you here for such a time as this because he has something for us to do. And the and the, the the true enjoyment of life, you know, we all wanted. There are lots of good books out there, Christian books about how to enjoy your life. And but the only true enjoyment of life, there's no comparison, is when you're doing what you were here to do. And I, I can tell you, just kind of a natural distance difference. I growing up always knew that I was going to be, I mean, from the time I was probably 10 years old, I was either going to be a minister or a doctor. And I wasn't saved, my family wasn't saved, uh, but I had a stepfather that was a lawyer. Excuse me, doctor. Did I say doctor? Maybe there's another career out there somewhere. No, no, no. (laughs) My wife just went, oh no. (laughs) I always wanted to be a, a, a minister or a lawyer. And my stepfather was a very successful lawyer. I really respected him as a lawyer, looked up to him. And so as I got out of college and again we weren't saved, I said that's probably the, the the better thing to do and there are reasons for that. And so I pursued that and then somewhere along the line I had a chance to step into a pulpit. And the first time I ever got into a pulpit to preach, I knew that's what I was made to do. I knew it. It wasn't like you had to tell anybody to tell me. I knew, I, knew I, I enjoyed practicing law. I was very successful as a lawyer. And then I realized that being a lawyer was something I learned how to do. And that's okay. But the moment I stepped into a pulpit and opened this book, I knew that's what I was meant to do. That was the purpose of my life. How, whatever that carried me out or required of me. And, and I share that because there was such a satisfaction. The difference was night and day. And I didn't know that until I stepped into that well the same is true with our purpose for our life not just your profession but the real purpose for your life and our purpose of all of our purposes is to to this commission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and we've looked at what the gospel is it's the good news and then we've looked at now we've been looking at what does it mean to preach the gospel what does it mean to preach the gospel And we found out that preaching doesn't mean just standing in a pulpit doing what it is that God's gifted me to do, but it means much more than that. It literally means to share the gospel. It means to tell somebody. And so we've been looking at this process that God has designed by which the gospel is transferred from one person to another. God has ordained a method. Man comes up with all kinds of methods and all kinds of philosophies and all kinds of ideas, but the only thing that works is when you go back to the manual, the instruction manual here. And, you know, I'm one of those people that, you know, if something goes wrong, I want to try to fix it myself. And so I'll try taking things apart, figuring it out. And then when that doesn't work, I'll go to find the manual and see what they say in there to do. Well, we have a manual for life, and that is this Bible. It's the instructions that God gave us individually and God gave the church. And when we start doing things that sound good, that attract large crowds, that look successful on the outside, I keep going back to, but is it what the manual says we're here to do? Is it what the manual says here to do? Because man can come up with great ideas. It doesn't take a lot to create a crowd. You can have a huge church that's burgeoning with people, but the question is, are we doing what we're here to do? We could have 10,000 people with, you know, in part of this church with 12 satellites all around, which has become very popular, and all campuses and all, you know. We can create a crowd by all kinds of things, but are we doing what we're here to do? Jesus said, what does it matter if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul if you're successful in the world's eyes and you have billions of dollars and own all kinds of places and can do anything you want and you're even blessing all kinds of people but you he doesn't have your soul you're not living for him then you have nothing well the same is true of a church the same is true of a church and so this is what we're looking to do we're going back and looking at this and so in Romans chapter 10 There's there's the instructions for how this sharing of the gospel works. And it's important to understand it because we have a part to play in this and God has a part to play in this. And as I shared with you before, we cannot do God's part. And this is where many people struggle and fail because they're trying to get their relatives saved. They're trying to get their neighbors saved or their friends They're people that they work with. They're trying to get them saved. And you can't get anybody saved. You didn't get yourself saved. So we can't do God's part. And God won't. And what we're going to see this morning is He, He can't do our part. So our part is critical. God will always do His part. But He cannot do our part. So there's a part we have to play, and we need to understand what that is. And we see that here laid out in Romans chapter 10. And we began to look at this last time, and we're going to look at an example today that I believe makes things very clear for us. We're going to pick up in Romans 10 verse 13. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we look at the word called upon, and we saw that it doesn't mean just say, hey Jesus, please save me. It literally means to to appeal to. As a as a as a lawyer would, if he lost his case in the trial court, he would appeal to the appellate court. He would appeal to a higher authority to, to to reconsider the judgment and change the verdict. And as we looked at last week, that if you and I stood before the judge of our souls before we came to Christ, the verdict is guilty. The verdict is guilty. But when you called upon the Lord, you appealed to a higher authority. You appealed to the ultimate court, which is the the, the cross. And, And by appealing to that, he changed the verdict. Although you're guilty, he took that guilt upon himself, and he took that guilt and gave you his innocence. So that when you stand before the judge of all souls now, the verdict is innocent, because the price has been paid. So to call upon the name of the Lord isn't just to say the name Jesus, it's to really call upon him from the heart. And whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's promise. So our role of getting saved is to call upon Him. His role then is to save us. And of course He's already paid it, so He will do that. And He says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. So there's no restriction. This is not just for the highly educated and the intelligent. It's not just for the lowly, the uneducated. God's kingdom is open to er, whosoever will. John 3.16 Whosoever shall believeth upon him shall not perish. The door is open. The price has been paid for everybody. And the question is, are you a whosoever? Are you a whosoever? The whosoever means it's your choice. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now he's going to talk about this process of how do they call upon him. What brings somebody to call upon his name? Verse 14, how shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? So in order to call upon him, you have to believe something. Well, we saw that earlier in Romans chapter 10. It says you have to believe that God has raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So you have to believe something about him because you won't call on somebody that you don't believe exists. I had a situation lately where I was sharing this with, the, with, a, with a relative was going through a tremendous struggle, and I was sharing some, some of this with him and what Jesus has meant in my life and I got, got this relative right up to the point of of praying with me and he, was this, he would repeat the prayer until it came to believing in Jesus and he said i can 't say that because i don 't and that was the block there he couldn 't make that jump at this point yet he will couldn 't make that jump to saying, "I believe in him and so so the believing how can you call on somebody if you 're sincere?" unless you believe they exist. Hebrews 11.6 says, "In order without faith it's impossible to please God, because in order to come to God, you must believe He exists, and that He's a rewarder, that He won't disappoint you, of those that diligently seek Him. So the beginning is for them to call on God, call on Christ, they have to believe that He exists, and who He is. They have to believe that. So how can they call on somebody, whom they've not believed, And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? Now that goes down to verse 17 that says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how can they believe on somebody in whom they've not heard and how can they hear without a preacher? Somebody to tell them. Now the word preacher again, that has connotations to us. And the connotation it has is somebody's doing what I'm doing right now, stands before, beh- before, behind a pulpit or is on TV and is preaching to you, telling you what you must do, you must repent, you must get saved, and there's a time where that is what it means. But it means far more than that. The term preacher, as we shared with you last week, means a herald, H-E-R-A-L-D, heart the herald angels sing. Now you know why I don't sing up there. So. <clears throat> And remember when, when, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, angels appeared to the shepherds announcing something. They were declaring something. They were heralding, announcing. And in the old days when a king or a dignitary was going to come through a community... They wanted him. people to recognize that he was coming so they didn't send out texts. they didn't send out emails, they didn't get on TV with a special announcement with a scroll going across the bottom because obviously they didn't have any of those methods. So the king or the dignitary or the magistrate would send a herald in ahead of them to, to blow a trumpet or make some kind of noise and then make a declaration announcing come on out because in two hours the king is coming or someone is coming that you need to see. They would make a noise and a declaration. John the Baptist was a herald. He came to prepare the way for the Lord. He came to announce something. He said, I'm not the one I'm announcing. I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. A voice crying out in the wilderness saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So he was announcing that there's one coming. So God always announces something before he's going to do it. But we have to have ears to hear. That's what Isaiah talks about. said, so they had ears to hear, but they didn't hear. They had eyes to see, but they didn't see. Lest it should enter their hearts, and they should repent, and I should heal them, save them. Okay. So that's what a herald is. So how are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? Well, why is that so important? Because down in verse 17 it says, For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the way f- this faith to believe... Is birthed into somebody's heart is somebody has to tell them the word, the truth of the gospel, because they cannot believe something they haven't heard about. And the word faith comes by hearing isn't a uh, hearing one time, it's here. Now that we've used that scripture so often to apply for faith for healing, for finances, faith to receive blessings that God has promised for us in His Word. And that's true, it does. But the context here is, how can somebody believe that Jesus exists? How can somebody believe that He's the Son of God? How can somebody believe that a man died 2,000 years ago on a cross can change my eternal destiny today, 2,000 plus years later? How are they going to believe that? The way they're going to believe it is somebody has to tell them. Because if somebody doesn't tell them, they don't stand a chance to believe so what they'll do is they in order to call upon him because if they call upon him God will do his part if they cry out from the heart God will do his part but God can't do his part unless they cry out to him call upon him and they cannot call upon him if they haven't don't believe that he's there and they won't believe that he's there and answer if somebody hasn't told them if they don't have faith because faith comes by having been told so how shall they hear without a preacher basically unless somebody tells them verse 15 and how shall they preach unless they're sent a herald had to be sent by the one they were announcing. They didn't just get up one day and say, you know what? I'm gonna go to Johnston and just announce that the governor's coming. I think I'll just do that. Because first of all there's no authority to do that because they're not told by the king or the governor in that case to go do that. They're just doing it on their own. So. They're going to be, people, if they listen to that herald that's just doing this on their own, are going to be disappointed because the king's not coming. So you have to be sent, if you're a herald, you have to be sent, which means by the, by the authority that you're announcing, because that's where, the authority, that's where the authority to proclaim what's going to happen comes from. Everybody follow me so far? This isn't rock and science, it's just, just okay, okay. Now, we've been sent, that's the commission we're looking at, Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the most powerful word in there is go, notice he doesn't say anything about coming back, notice there are no conditions on there, go if it's convenient, go if you feel like it, go if you have the money, go if it's safe. Go if you're not going to be embarrassed. No. We have, been, we have been sent. But the good news is, because of the one who sent us, he will back us up. Jesus at one point told his disciples, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to go before authorities, and they're going to, some of them are going to scourge you, some of them are going to persecute you, but don't worry about what you're going to say in that time, because when you open your mouth, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say. Because the one that sent you is right there with you. In Matthew's version, chapter 28, after he said all this, he says, and lo, that means as a result, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. If you want to experience Jesus is with you, if you want to experience his presence, then go. Go out and do what he's called you to do. Go and respond to the call to be sent if you want to experience His presence, if you want to know what His authority is like, Matthew chapter 18, 28, Jesus said, Behold, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And we love to quote that scripture. Devil, all authority has been given unto me. You get out of my body. You leave my children alone. But we got to read the rest of what He's talking about. Because as they're learning today, downstairs in this spiritual authority class, authority is is only a tool that's given to you to carry out your purpose. God does not give authority just to give out authority. He gives a purpose, a responsibility first, and then the authority comes from Him to carry out that purpose He gave you. So Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, therefore you go... And preach the gospel making disciples of all nations. So the one that sent us, sends us with his authority that's been given to him. So the only reason we've been given authority in this earth, his authority, is so we can go and proclaim the gospel. And that means all kinds of things. It doesn't just mean speaking. It means praying for the sick. It means casting out devils. It means doing the works that he did. It means doing those things, but we want to sit in church and see them. But nowhere does he say, sit in church and see the manifestations of the Spirit. He says, go and You want to see the gifts of the Spirit operate? Go use the... Preach the Word of God. Go out there and watch what God will do. I heard years ago a, a very... I don't have a lot of time for this. A very clear example of this. Years ago by the gentleman that uh, was in charge of a group out of Oral Roberts University that was a seeing group that back then, because of the, the Iron Curtain was in existence, and some of you aren't old enough to even remember the Iron Curtain, and many of us remember what it was put up. Um, but it was, a, it, was a, it was really a boundary around the Soviet Union, and once you crossed that boundary, if you could get in there, uh, it was a different world. And he went, his, this group was uh, in singing in, in Moscow, and, uh, and, and he said, when I got there, I discovered that the KGB was following me around. And one night, three o'clock in the morning, there's a knock on his hotel door, and he opens the door and there are several KGB agents, and they say, get your clothes on, come with us. And they take him down into the the basement of the KGB. This is the the Secret Service headquarters in Moscow. And they start grilling him, why are you here? You're a spy, aren't you? And he's just sitting there saying, no, we're just here to sing, and he said, but there was a man sitting back in a corner in a dark leather coat back in the shadow. And he said, I couldn't really see his face. And he said, this went on for an hour or so. And he says it was like 4.35 in the morning. He said, suddenly something just went off in me. And he said, it was the Holy Spirit. He said, I stood up. And I started, something carding came out of my mouth. Words came out of my mouth. I can't, I, I've never heard them before. I began to speak with authority out of my mouth. And they stopped. And all of a sudden, this man in the back corner stood up and walked forward into the light. He said, where did you hear that? I said, I don't know. He said, do you know what you just did? You just quoted part of the the, the Russian Constitution, a section that tells us we don't have a right to hold you anymore. How did you know that? He said, the Holy Spirit told me what to say. So those words are literally true. Whoa, that's exciting! That didn't happen to him sitting in church. It to happened to him because he go He went. Okay? Alright. So, how can, how shall they preach unless they're sent? So we've been sent. And I told you last week, we're talking about your feet this morning. Look at the rest of this verse. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, the good news of peace, who bring glad tidings, good news of good things. How beautiful are the feet of those. Well, the feet in the Bible always refers to our activities, our going, our actions. So how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I shared with you last week, the word beautiful... If you really study this word out in the Greek, which is the language this was written in, it means the blossoming. The blossoming out of. Now what is a blossom? A blossom is when the real beauty of a flower is now revealed. It's in there all along. And we talked last, I talked last week about rhododendron in the springtime. You know, you see this, this thing all tied up tight. And it's, you know, sometimes you can see a little pink sticking through, and sometimes I can see a little, you know, whatever, red sticking through. But boy, when the conditions are right, when the sun is out and it gets warm enough, this bud begins to unfold and to blossom before our eyes. And as it does, the beauty, the real inner beauty of that rhododendron bush, or the azalea bush, or whatever it is that you have, begins, the real beauty begins to show forth. And now you can see what really the essence and the, fulf- the essence of that pl- flower is and the fulfillment of what its purpose is. Because the purpose of rhododendron bushes, the purpose of roses is to give us pleasure. And the thorns don't give us pleasure. The old green leaves don't give us pleasure. What brings pleasure to us is when those blossoms unfold and bloom before us. And I suggest to you that the Word of God teaches us that when you were saved, God put the seed of His life inside of you, the seed of His love inside of you, the seed of His nature inside of you. And, and, and we're, we're struggling with our lives because we're not enjoying that peace. We're not enjoying that, that wisdom. We're not enjoying all those blessings that we see in the Bible that are ours. We're not enjoying all those things that and, and, and because they're wrapped up in that Blossom. And it's going to come out as that blossom begin, of your life, of the life of God inside of you, begins to bloom. And the real inner beauty that's not you, it's the fragrance of Christ. It's His beauty in you begins to shine forth. Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church that you would strengthen them by your spirit in their inner man praying for the church that Christ may dwell in your hearts the seed by faith and that being rooted and grounded in what? love you might come to know the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding that you may be filled with all of the essence of God himself. How does that come out in you? Beautiful, blossoming are the feet of them who bring good news. Another aspect of this Greek word, if you study it out, means the vigor, V-I-G-O-R, of life. Vigorous means somebody that's got energy and got pep and life. Do you understand that there is a a level of life in God that's so far above the life that we normally live? The Greek word that's used for that is zoe, Z-O-E. When Jesus said in John chapter 10, 10, the thief comes only but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and that life more abundantly. That word life is that word Zoe. He's not talking about the breath of life in you. He's talking about the life of God in you to animate you, to make you alive. You ever have an experience of coming to church and you're just, especially like on a Wednesday night, you're just, uh, I remember when I was a lawyer and I worked in Worcester and I would come home, an hour's drive home, get home just in time to where everybody else was eating dinner, get, eat my dinner, get in the car. Now we decide are we're going to come to church or not tired my body's screaming don't go he's tired you need to get up you need to get to rest tonight but see because we've established a habit this is why habits are so important a good one habit what happens when you don't know what to do the habit is the default of what you'll do and so we just came I never I never in all of my life came to church tired and then didn't leave full of energy So what my body was telling me was a lie. And where did that energy come from? It wasn't because I had a good nap while the preacher was teaching. It's because because the life of God in me got stirred up. Well if you want the life of God in you blossoming and stirring up, go begin to give it away. Go begin, because you've been sent. How beautiful. If you want to experience, if you want to get rid of depression, if you want to get rid of discouragement, Go begin to do what you were here to do. Amen. Go begin to just share a little bit. Just open your mouth and share a little bit because you've been sent. And what you'll find is the life of God inside of you gets stirred up. Even if they don't accept it, you'll feel different. Because what's happened? That blossom in you of who you really are is beginning to open up. I'm telling you there is a level of life that's inside of you this morning. A level of life that is so far beyond anything you've experienced, unless you've tasted it. Because i got to warn you, though, there's a warning with this label. This can become addictive. It can actually become a lifestyle. And the good news is, there's no hangover from it. You can't overdose with this. It may actually get you out of where you are, and put you into a level of life which God has put inside of you. But we come to church expecting the preacher to do this for us. God's already put it in you. We're sent. All right. Now we've got to look at an example of this because we're going to run out of time if we don't do this. And I want to go over with me to, um, to Acts chapter 10. We're going to read down through this story. And here's a great example. This is a perfect example. Acts chapter 10. We're going to read down through it. There's a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Caesarea was a Roman city by the coast. And this was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion. That means he was an uncommissioned officer that was in charge of hundred men. Centurion uh, of, of, of what was called the Italian Regiment. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid, and he said, what is it, Lord? And so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Isn't that nice to know? Your prayers and your giving comes up before God as a memorial. Now, this is the instruction of the angel. Now send to Joppa, that's another city on the coastline south of there, about 30 miles south, for Simon, whose surname is Peter, that's Peter the Apostle, he's lodging there with another Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. And the angel spoke, when the angel spoke to him, the angel departed, and Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. He explained to them all these things, and then he sent them, he sent them, he sent them, he sent them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9, the next day as they went on their journey and drew up to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, that's about noon, and he became hungry and he wanted to eat, and while he made ready he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven open up and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending down to him and let down to the earth, and in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, of wild beasts, creeping things, and birth, birds of the air. So there's a trance he's in. He's seeing this vision in a trance. And now a voice came to him saying, "Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again a second time saying, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times. And again the object was taken up into heaven. Now verse 17, While Peter wondered within himself what this vision was, which he had seen meant, he doesn't know what this means, behold the men who'd been sent, everybody say sent, Sent. by Cornelius, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, go down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men who had been sent from Cornelius, and he said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? And Cornelius said, Centurion, the just man who fears God, has a good reputation among the Jews, and was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house, and here words from you. Then he invited them in, they lodged there, and the next day Peter went with them to Joppa, and some of the brethren went with him. Verse 24, And the following day they entered Caesarea, they, and Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together the relatives and close friends, because he doesn't know what he's going to hear. And Peter was coming in, and Cornelius met him, and fell down at his what? Feet. Fell down at his what? Feet. His beautiful feet and worshiped him. Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I'm a man just like you are. And as he talked with them, he went in and found them who had come together. Verse 28, and he said to them, he said to them, he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with you or to go into another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for and I asked them, for what reason have you come and sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Verse 31. And Cornelius, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon, whose name is Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear the things commanded you by God. Isn't this interesting? Now, let's think about this a second. Back in verse 3, while Cornelius is praying, an angel appears to him. Now, that's supernatural, right? An angel, you don't see an angel every day. You may see them, but you don't know they're angels. An angel appeared to Cornelius and said, Your prayer has been answered, basically. And he tells him. The angel speaks words to Cornelius, telling him to go to Joppa and call for a man named Simon, tells him where he's dwelling. And when he comes here, he will speak to you so it's not like this angel can't speak because it says this in verse, verse 3 the angel spoke to Cornelius so you've got an angel that God has sent to speak to Cornelius and what he's telling Cornelius is you need to go send to Joppa because over in Joppa is a man called Peter and have him come so that he can come all the way back up here to Joppa and speak words to you Wait a minute! The angel's there! Is it because the angel doesn't know what the information is? Oh, not at all! The angel knows exactly what Cornelius... Cornelius is praying... Cornelius... listen carefully... Cornelius is calling on the name of the Lord. I don't know what all this means. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. I don't know anything except I believe in God and I'm calling upon Him. God hears the cry. Sends an angel to begin to tell Cornelius what he has to do in order to respond to God. Because God's ready to respond to His call. And the angel speaks words to him. But the angel obviously is not sent to speak the words of the gospel or he would do it right then. So obviously God can't just tell him what he needs to know or has chosen not to do it that way. So what the angel tells him from God is you need to go hear from a man and I'll send him to you. In fact, I'll tell you where he is and how to get him. So he goes and sends for Peter. He says, because when Peter comes he's going to speak words to you. I'd rather that say, well, why doesn't the angels speak to him? Because God has chosen a different method. And God either will not, or I suspect God cannot, unless it's something supernatural like the Apostle Paul. And that was a, a unique situation. So what happens then is Simon does that. I mean, Cornelius sends men to John. Now, while this is going on, Peter's hungry. And while they're fixing food downstairs, he goes up onto the top because their roof was flat. It was like a, a deck up top. And he's up there and he's praying. And while he's praying, another supernatural thing happens. He goes into a trance. And in the trance, he has a vision. And in this vision, he sees a sheet coming down out of heaven, tied at the corners, and in this sheet, he can see all kinds of animals that under the Jewish law were not clean, were not legal for him to eat. And he hears a voice. He hears a voice. He hears a voice speaking to him, saying, rise and eat. And this happens three times. And Peter's answers, no, no, Lord. So he knows who's speaking to him. So you got an angel over here speaking to Cornelius. You've got God speaking over here to Simon by visions and then by words. And he says, God says to him, whatever I've declared clean is clean. In other words, I set up the law. I can tell you when you've got to keep it and when it doesn't apply anymore. And it doesn't apply anymore. Now Peter's really confused. So what happens now? While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit now speaks to him. So God speaks directly to him. Now the Holy Spirit speaks to him. So you've got an angel over here speaking to Cornelius in answer to his prayer, saying, what you need to hear, I can't tell you. You've got to get a man to come and tell you. So go send for Peter, and he'll come, and he will tell you what I can't tell you, because you've got to hear it from him, not me. And so while that's happening, God's preparing Peter to do what God's preparing us to do. So some of you may be sitting here hungry right now. (laughs) That's okay. Okay. And some of you may go into trance. If you start snoring, I know it's not a trance. (laughs) If the person next to you is snoring, it's okay to wake them up because they're not in a trance. If their face is glowing, they're in a trance. Let them go, let alone, okay? So God's now preparing Peter because He's going to send him. He's going to send him to Cornelius. He's going to send him with a message to Cornelius. And but Peter doesn't know what to do because, first of all, he's saying, oh, I can't go preach to him. They're not they're not good people. And we can have those attitudes too. Well, you know, you know what kind of you know what that relative's done to me? You know how terrible they've treated my family? They don't deserve to be saved. Guess what? Neither did you. You and I have no right, just to ask Jonah when you get to heaven. Jonah was mad. He was out there after he would preached his sermon went out there. And when they, Nineveh repented, he went out and sat on that hill and pouted. That's what he did, he pouted. Because he knew that if they asked for repentance, if they repented, God was merciful enough to forgive them. And God dealt with his attitude by causing this little tree to grow up and then it withered and died. And he says, you care more about that tree. That you do about 600,000 people, souls, that would have died in Nineveh and gone to hell forever. It's interesting. I wonder what things we care more about. I wonder what things we care more about. Okay, we've got to move along. All right. So while Peter thought of these things, the Spirit now speaks to him and tells him to go and speak to Cornelius. So that Cornelius could hear the words. Now let's go over to verse... We'll pick up in verse 36. And the word which God sent to the children Peter's now preaching. Preaching peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. So he tells Cornelius that this Jesus who he's heard about is Lord of all. Verse 37. The, that word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of these things which he has done both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem and whom they killed and hang on a tree. Him, verse 40, God raised up on the third day. He's telling them the gospel story. Showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God even to us who ate and drank with Him after He was raised from the dead. Verse 42. And He commanded us, remember sent? He commanded us to testify, that means to tell, that He who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So He commanded what we saw, what we experienced, He commanded us to go tell. So he's now come to Cornelius's house and says, I now understand I've been commanded by Christ to come and tell and I realize now you're one of the ones I'm supposed to come and tell. Verse 43. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission or forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. Whoever believes, how shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe unless they've not heard? They've now heard, and now they believe because they've heard. And now watch what happens. Watch what happens. While, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking those words... The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard those words and those with the circumcision the Jews were, believed were astonished because as many as with came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles also as it had been on them on the day of Pentecost for they all heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And the next thing we want to do is be baptized. All this supernatural activity. An angel sent by God in answer to Cornelius' prayer. But the angel angel couldn't tell him the gospel. All he could tell him is, there's somebody God's prepared to come tell this to you. And now God, through the Holy Spirit and the vision, is preparing Peter to prepare him to go say what he's got to say. He already knows the gospel, but he needs to know he's now been sent to Cornelius. And when he comes, he doesn't understand what's going to happen. He just knows he's been sent. And all he's got to do is open his mouth and share what he knows. And when he does, the Holy Spirit fell. You want to see miracles and the manifestation of the Spirit? Go! Because we've been sent. And share the gospel. Let's go to Acts chapter 6. We'll look at one more example of this. Because we have the Lord's table to share together. All that supernatural activity... Why doesn't God, why doesn't the angel just tell him? Why doesn't the angel just tell him? Because he can't. He can't. Because faith comes by hearing from another man the words of God spoken. And you and I are called. We're sent to some Cornelius somewhere. This is a story about an Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8, excuse me, I'm sorry. I know why I, I, I said six. Acts chapter eight. It's a story of an uh, Ethiopian eunuch, and we'll have to kind of summarize here. Starting in verse 26, an angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. So here's again supernatural activity. Arise and go to the south, along the road which goes down as far as Gaza. That's the desert. And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an Ethiopian eunuch with authority under Candace the queen, who had charge of all the treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, he was sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet, and the spirit spoke to Philip and said, go, there it is again, go, go, and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? He's got the word of God. How can I understand unless someone speaks to me and helps me? And he said to him, and he asked Philip to come and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this: He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation and justice was taken away. Who will declare that this generation, for this life, is taken from the earth? And so, as the eunuch answered, Philip said, "I ask you, of whom does this prophet, of this, of himself, or of some other man?" And Philip opened his what? He opened his what? He opened his mouth, he spoke, he preached, he declared, because he was sent by the angel, verse 26. He opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached, shared, explained Christ to him. And now as they went down on the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, commanded the chariot to stand still and they both went down and he was baptized in water. Here again, here's a man crying out for understanding. A man crying out, calling upon God. And God can't answer him directly. But God is, answers him by speaking to Philip and saying, there's a man over here, he needs to hear what you have to say. He needs to hear what you have to say. So go, catch up with his chariot. overtake his chariot. And then he begins this conversation with him. Do you understand what you're reading? No, I don't. How am I going to understand who this man is talking about unless somebody, somebody, unless somebody, unless somebody tells me? And when when Philip told him, he then could believe. And when he believed, he crawled upon the name of the Lord, and he was saved. I wonder today who there is in our lives, who there is in our family, who there is in our workplace, who there is around us, who there is in our neighborhood. That secretly at night, they may not know what they're doing, like this, the, the eunuch didn't quite know what he was doing. Cornelius, did, he just knew in his heart there was a cry for help to God. They were lost, lonely, alone. Somewhere there's people around us, all around us, there are people calling out, asking for help. And God is answering them. And His answer is you and me. His answer is you and me. He's calling us, preparing us, because He wants to send us, to them because the answer to their prayers, the answer to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord is you and me being sent because they can't call upon him unless they believe in who he is and they can't believe unless somebody goes and tells them. We're not responsible for whether they get saved or not. We're responsible for telling them. We're responsible for telling them because God can't. He hears their cry. He's moving to do, to answer their cry, but he needs somebody, he needs somebody, he needs somebody to open their mouth, to go and to tell others. And my wife just spoke to me last year and reminded me what a perfect time of year. What a perfect time of year to be looking at this. A time when people's hearts are open to giving People's hearts are open to family. For some people, this is a very difficult time of year because either they don't have family and they're alone or their family's so far away or their family may be right next door and nobody's talking to each other. This is a very wonderful time but a very challenging time for people. And I believe with all my heart there are people out there today or as they get into the season that in their hearts somewhere are crying out, Is there there some other way? Is, Is this all there is? Is there an answer? They may not put it in words like you and I would or even Cornelius would, but there's a cry of their heart God hears. And he can't answer that directly. But the way he'll answer that is by sending us. Sending just the right person across their path. But it's not enough to be sent. We have to be willing to share what God's done in our lives. The wonderful thing about the gospel is you're already an expert on it you know what he's done for you and nobody can argue with what he's done for you they can argue theology but they can't argue with what God's done for you what Jesus has done for you and that's the most powerful way of sharing the gospel there is this is what Jesus has done in my life this is who he's meant to me and this is what he means to me how can they go how can they believe unless they've heard how can they hear unless somebody preaches to them how can we preach unless we're sent? And those that are sent, how beautiful, how warm, how come on, How beautiful, how... See, your, your, your purpose is to blossom. You'll blossom as you begin to respond to the call and do what we're here to do. All the other things we do are to support the blossom. But the real purpose of your life is to blossom in front of whoever God puts you. And that fragrance of Christ in your life, that fragrance of the love of God, of the mercy of God, in your life will catch somebody's nose, catch somebody's uh, senses, and they'll be drawn as a bee is drawn to draw from the nectar that the flower didn't produce. It came up from the fruit and out through the stem. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives pray this morning, Father, that this truth of why you put us here would get down so deep in our hearts, Lord, that we feel compelled to go do it, respond to the call. Father, help us to hear the call, the cry of others around us. Hear what you hear, Father, in our hearts and to be moved. Soften those difficult areas of our heart that we may be able to respond in Jesus' name. Amen.